All right, some of you guys were dancing in the rain as you came into church this morning, huh? Uh, hey, messed my hair up, so I was a little bit upset about that. But I uh, got some exciting news. Uh, you guys might not know this, but within our we have three campuses, and within our campus we have an Olympian this year. Uh, Jacob Bookie, he's from Fremont. He goes to the Fremont campus. Was one of my youth when I was a youth pastor um, a short time ago. Um, actually, it was a long time ago. But uh, so he won a team silver in archery back in 2012, and he uh, is back on the team this year. So he'll be going over to Tokyo, and so be praying for him, and it's an exciting, exciting time for him. He actually married the pastor's daughter, so maybe God's on his side. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Kevin hears that. He's going to give me a hard time. Uh, a couple other exciting things. This is exciting. We have our grow class on Saturday. Woo! Yeah! Um, anyways, yeah, so we've got the class. We've got nine people signed up for that. So if you're thinking, man, I'd like to take that class, but I don't want to be there by myself with Pastor Harold, you won't. You'll be there with some other people. Uh, it's about how do you read and study the Bible, try to, you know, how do you get something out of the Bible when you're doing that, what prayer is all about, giving and fellowship, what those um, things are all about. And if you even, if you know all of that, then come anyways, because you'll get to meet some people that you haven't met before, because our church continues to grow, and there'll be some new faces there for you uh, to meet. And it's always a good time. We have fun. There's food. There's child care available if you need that. Uh, the food is really good. Deb Grenick puts it together. Uh, so join us for that. We also have uh, eight people coming, joining in the team as members. And uh, I, so I picked today. We do that, and I think everybody but Karen is on vacation. So Karen, you need, I don't know why you're not on vacation, but... Um, so Karen Beaudry, who's right down here, she's one of those eight. And uh, Donnie Harris, right over here uh, in, the, in the black shirt there. You can put your hand up, Donnie. There you go. Nice. Very nice. Um, let's see. I'm not finished yet, young lady. Wow. Can you dial her down a couple notches, please? Kyle would finally, he'd be fine with being forgotten, so... I know that. Anyways, so uh, Peter Giles, who sometimes plays the drums, he's not in there today, he's down in Fremont playing. Um, Pam Hodge is here, right here. And Kyle Connect. Um, let's see, Maggie Mag McGonigal, who's Pete's fiance. Uh, and then Clark and Rachel Shrek. And so I know they're on vacation, so maybe we'll embarrass them next week. But uh, again, eight people coming in. I think it's eight. Um, who are say, hey, we want to be a part of the team, become members of our church. Appreciate that. Well, we finally made it to the end of James. So anybody go home every Sunday and soak your feet after getting stomped on? It's funny, I, I hear from people all week long, this James is just really hard, it's really difficult. And it is. It's, it's a practical book or a letter. And so because it's practical, it's convicting. Because then we realize, oh man, the Bible says I'm supposed to be doing this, but I'm not really doing that. And his whole purpose, as we've talked about, he's writing to a bunch of uh, Christians. They happen to be Jewish Christians. Early on, you know, 48 A.D., so it's early on, just a few years after Jesus returned to heaven. And, um, and he's just saying, hey, you know, here's how God defines. Here's some very practical ways you can demonstrate you've truly placed your faith in Christ. Because people can say whatever they want to say, right? We talked about the fact that I could say I'm a professional football player, um, and everybody would be like, no, you're not. But then if I showed up and I started playing football on a Sunday, you watch TV and there's a 
little bald-headed guy running out there and beer on his back. You go, wow, he was actually, he's actually a football player. Uh, but people can say a lot, and there's a lot of people who say, hey, I'm a Christian. And they may genuinely believe that they are, uh, but as we've been talking about, and as James reminds us, that being a Christian, it's not about what we do. Doing doesn't save us. Good deeds or our behavior doesn't save us. But if we place our faith in Christ, we will do good deeds. We will change in our behavior. So, And this is what James is saying. And so he's saying, hey, Christians, evaluate that. You who call yourselves Christians, evaluate that so you can know for sure, have I truly placed my faith in Christ? Has he made a difference in his life. And today we're going to talk about, as he finishes out, he hits a bunch of, uh, several different topics. And we talked about the fact that James is kind of a, like a New Testament Proverbs from the Old Testament. Proverbs is just a bunch of just topics that the author would be throwing out. And James kind of does the same thing. And I've kind of packaged it this morning. Um, it's faith's walk with others. So if, if we're a follower of Christ, some general things about what does that look like as Christians, as part of the church. And so the first one's found in verse 12, and we're going to take a verse, tear it apart, read some more verses, tear it apart, and go from there. Yes. But, or, and, above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so you may not fall under judgment. So it's a kind of a quick statement here, and he's saying, hey, listen, above all, or, hey, this is kind of a big point here. Taking everything that we've talked about up until this point, just kind of, above all, just do this. If you do this, you're going to represent Christ well. You're going to show that you're a true follower of Christ. And that is, do not swear an oath. In general, he's saying, hey, Christians, be dependable. Be a person of your word. So he's not talking about swearing. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 4 and 5. So Paul deals with the whole idea of swearing and cussing and harsh language and that kind of stuff. He's not talking about that here. He's not talking about the oath that we would take if you're like in a, in a court of law, put your hand in the Bible, I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, number the truth. I always think of the three stooges when I, uh, when they're in a court, it's always pretty interesting. Anyways, um, it, he's not talking about that. He's talking about just kind of general conversation that we have with people, with our spouse, our kids, parents, church members, neighbors, whatever it is, just this general conversation. See, in Israel, they back then, <clears throat> they had some binding oaths, some oaths that they would say before God, <clears throat> and if they made those, that oath, and it's kind of like a contract, you know, they didn't have like written contract like we have today, so if they made an oath, they would say, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm making this oath before God, and everybody understood that was binding, and if they didn't follow through with that, there was, you know, some punishment that came along with that. But then over the years, as you know, man does with God's laws, they started doing some other kind of oaths, and it was a whole series of different kind of oaths that they would swear you know, according to heaven. You know, it wasn't quite God, but it was getting close, you know, or, or to earth or whatever. And they were, they were making these oaths. And the idea there was the person's going to say, no, no, you can believe me, you can believe me, but everybody kind of knew that, yeah, it's kind of not binding. If it didn't follow through, it didn't really follow through. There's no real uh, judgment involved there. You know, the court's not going to get involved. And so basically what he's talking about for, for us as we think about our lives, it's this kind of thing. So your, your spouse or your parents or your, maybe even your kids, um, the boss, whatever, somebody says, hey, uh, I need you to do this. And you're like, 
got it. They're like, no, no, seriously, I need you to, to do this because they know that you don't necessarily follow through all the time. No, I really need to do it. No, no, I got it, I got it. No, I'm serious. You really, I swear, I got it. It's that kind of thing. But still, the person who's saying, hey, do it, is thinking, really not sure if the person is going to do it. And the person saying, oh, I swear, I got it. They're like, yeah, unless something better comes up. It's that kind of, and we've all been involved in that kind of conversation, right? We've all been on both sides of that. And people try to make, you know, unfortunately people make it worse. They go, I swear to God I'll do it. Well, see, now you've just done the, the swearing part, which isn't good. And then you also put God's name into that, which is actually taking God's name in vain. Now it's kind of a dangerous thing. But we do it all the time. I swear I'll do it. You can trust me. I got this. And then we end up not doing it. And what Paul or James's point is, let your yes be yes, yes and your no be no. Be dependable. What you say is what you mean. Again, we're talking about people who have professed to know Christ. They have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They are a Christ follower. That's what a Christian means. Christian means Christ follower or Christ one. Jesus was always truthful. What Jesus said, Jesus meant, and people knew it. What Jesus promised, he fulfilled. And the ones he hasn't fulfilled yet, he's going to fulfill. Why? Because he's fulfilled all the other ones. And so what he says, he means. When he said yes, we understood he meant yes. When he said no, we understood he meant no. And so as Christians, Christ followers, we should be people that are dependent, that we can be depending on. We, can, we say what we mean. We do what we say we're going to do. And this is serious business. Our speech, James has talked about speech a lot, right? In a lot of different uh, areas and circumstances, he's talked about our speech, what we say. And this is serious business because he says, you need to do this, you who are professing to be a Christian, so you don't, ju- don't fall into judgment. The word judgment there means condemnation. It means eternal judgment, God's judgment. So what he's saying here is, listen, Christians, if you're saying you've placed your faith in Christ, then one of the ways you're going to show that is you're going to be a person of your word. When you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. When you say you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it. You're going to be dependable. You're going to be a person of your word. And so a person may say, well, well, well I'm, no, I am a Christian. Great, okay. If you are, then demonstrate it by being an honest person, by being a person of your word. To be a person who has this lifestyle, and this, he's kind of known, or she is kind of known for being a person who doesn't follow through, who lies. I mean, that's what ends up being what it is. Is showing that that person doesn't really understand the gospel, doesn't understand that when you place your faith in Christ and your sins are forgiven, you become a new person, you become part of God's family, and you, you live the way Christ lived. And God empowers you to do that. Every verb that we've looked at through James is a present verb, meaning, or present active, meaning it's something that continually, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, this is what you do. So it means this lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of doing life God's way. Well, then he moves on uh, to talk about how faith worships Always. He's talking about prayer here, and he's talking about praising here. Both of those words really mean um, different forms of worshiping who God is. And so it's interesting because um, we should probably 
take James, uh, what he says about prayer. I learned this this week, I didn't know this, that his nickname was Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. I have camel knees, by the way, but it's not because I've been on my knees praying a whole lot. Though sometimes I do. Don't start, you know. I just got really ugly knees. Um, But supposedly, from what church history tells us, that James was a man of prayer. So here's Jesus' half-brother, but he's known for being a man of prayer. Anyways, so he's going to talk a little bit about prayer here in the next few verses. But this one is really short and sweet. Does anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is a sing praises. So a follower of Christ who is suffering, he needs to be doing something. A follower of Christ whose life's going good, you know, she needs to be doing something. And so suffering, a present tense, so this is ongoing, day in, just suffering of life. It can, it can refer to any kind of suffering. Persecution for doing life God's way, which he talks about in verse 10. The prophets were persecuted, they suffered for doing life God's way. So it could be that kind of thing. It could be health issues that we have, just kind of ongoing health challenges that we might face, but it's this ongoing thing. And what's our response? Our response is that we must pray. Now there's several different words for prayer, and in fact we're going to talk about some of them. This one has this idea of worshiping through prayer. It has this idea of kind of setting yourself before God in worship, as you're praying. It's a present imperative. So it's this lifestyle, this day in, day out, spending time with God. Paul talks about praying without ceasing. And it's that kind of thing where we, we have this sense that we're standing before God or kneeling before God, praying. See, typically when we're suffering, we, we become impatient with people, right? You know, like when I'm sick, I'm not a very good patient. My wife's very gracious and loving to me, but I I get grumpy and irritable and I have short answers and I'm impatient and, and irritable. And usually when we're suffering, we have that kind of response to people. And a lot of times we have the response to God, right? Because we, we look at it and say, God, life's supposed to be good for me. I'm not supposed to be going through this. So make me better. And then he does it and then we get irritated with him. And what's the typical response? Well, if God's not going to help me, I'm not going to talk to him about it. But James is saying, no, Followers of Christ, people who have placed their faith in Christ, those who have a relationship with God, they just spend time with Him. They worship Him in prayer. They have this connection with God where they understand, okay, I'm going through this difficult time. I'm going to do this with God in my life and not be irritated, frustrated with Him. But then He says, hey, if you're cheerful, you need to sing praises. So if life's going good, you know, God's removed the suffering. And life's going good. What's the tendency there? Tendency is like, man, life's good. It's it's kind of like me, you know. If if uh, and maybe some of you guys are like this, you take medicine for something, right? And so you know, I'm taking blood pressure medicine or some other thing. And pretty soon, I, my blood pressure's down. I'm feeling good, and so I'm just like, I don't need blood pressure medicine anymore. I'm feeling good. It's that kind of thing. So life's going good. We don't say, oh, God's the one doing it. We just say, yeah, life's good, man. I don't need to spend time in the prayer. I don't need to spend time in God's Word. I don't need to be around a church family. Life is good. And James is like, no, your job is to praise. And that word praise there has this idea of twitch or to twang. So just FYI, in heaven, country music, that's, that's the only thing that's going to be there because it's about twanging, Right? And then there's a, there's a VIC, very important Christian section, and that's for the bluegrass people. 
And so, you know, little Allison Krause and Depot, we're going to be in there, listen to her yodeling. Oh, it's just going to be awesome. Anyways, but this is a present imperative too. So this is when life is going good, day in, day out, we're thanking God for it, we're praising God for it, we know that this is coming from God, and so it's a wonderful, awesome thing. We don't forget Him in those times, we, we thank Him for those times. Then James goes into one more um, kind of tricky passage. And he's had a few of these, and so we're glad we're done with James because he keeps on throwing these verses at us. We're kind of like, what is it really, what are you saying here, James? So there's a debate, um, before we get into it, there's a debate, and there are uh, biblical scholars and some who I, you know, I personally respect who say this is physical sickness. Then there's other biblical scholars, some who I really respect, um, that say, you know, this is spiritual sickness or weakness. And so there's this big debate. I'm not going to get into it this morning because you guys would be asleep by the time I get this. Half of you guys are asleep now, so this would be really bad. Everybody would be asleep by the time it got done. So if you're really interested in this, I've got a, a web page that actually breaks it down very well, and you can make a decision for yourself. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to give you what I believe from me studying it out, what this passage is saying. And I'll just give you, you might all think, well, he's like a politician. He's just, you know, center of the road. Sorry, I'm going to be center of the road because I, from looking at it, this is what I think is the case. This is not a thus saith the Lord. You know, don't go, the Bible says this. You know, now this is me giving my best attempt as I've studied scripture out, taking both sides of the argument and kind of figuring out what's going on. You ready for this? Have I built it up? You all excited? Harold's going to get in trouble. Okay. <clears throat> says this, Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, which is a different word than the previous word. In the Greek, it's a different word. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now again, some of you guys who have been in church for a long period of time, you're familiar with this passage. And so uh, some of you may be going, oh, Harold, I never thought of it that way. Um, others of you may be saying he's out of his mind. But here, here's what I believe James is saying. And again, it's kind of a center of the road thing. And that's this. He's talking about those who are physically sick because of some unconfessed sin in their life. Now, in our world today, people want to have no conversation about sin, all right? But sin is a real thing. We are spiritual beings, and what happens to us spiritually, what we allow into our lives spiritually, will impact us in our lives physically. The Bible is clear about that, and I think we all can understand that. Um, and so this is, this is a very specific situation. He's already covered, from my point of view, he's already covered the physical sick portion in verse 13. Suffering can talk, it's a very general term, and it can speak about physical illness. And so a person who is a Christian who is physically sick will already have been consistently praying, right? So, so that's kind of covered here. So this person is sick, and that word sick in verse 14 means to be feeble or without strength. It, in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's used both of physical sickness and spiritually weak in the Gospels and in the New Testament. So it kind of goes, and it just almost about as many times 
each time it's used. And then James uses another word in verse 15, for, and we translate it sick, but it just means to be tired. Um, and the only other use in the New Testament is in Hebrews, and it means to be spiritually tired, spiritually faint. Now, a couple words of caution here. Just Number one, we believe God heals. Someone would say, well, you guys don't even believe God heals anymore. <clears throat> no, we believe God heals. We, I know people who God has, has healed. Miraculously. They prayed for it, and God's healed them. Again, something that God does, it's God's will, whether he does or not. We still worship him as God, whether he does or not. His will is perfect. But today, in this day and age, unlike the first century, God heals most often, if he's going to, through the medicine that he's allowed men to come up with. God, you know, guys are over here, you know, cooking up stuff in his chemistry shop, and they're coming up with some medicine that's supposed to help us. God's not sitting there going, I'm not, I don't have anything to do with that. God's the one allowing him to do that. And so, today, God most often heals through the medicine that he gives us. Secondly, James is not saying that all physical illness is due to sin, like a personal sin. We know it's due to sin, you know, in a general sense, in the sense that sin caused there to be germs and weeds and, and issues with us and weakness in us and that kind of stuff. But he's not saying that every physical illness that we have is because somebody has sinned. This is a very specific situation where a person's unconfessed sin has lingered and lingered and they fought it and they fought it, and pretty soon God's trying to get their attention and it's impacting them physically. Much like what King David had to say in the Psalms. So here's King David. He said, When I kept silent about my sin, unconfessed sin, my body wasted away through groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. What? God was trying to get his attention. Hey, listen, you got some issues. My uh, vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Selah. And Selah just basically means, as we understand, think about this. You know, take a, take a break. Think. I acknowledge my sin to you. He confessed it. And my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. He forgave him, and we know David was healed. And so again, it just seems like this is a very specific situation in which somebody has unconfessed sin that they need to call the elders in. And so that's the next thing that happens. He says that they had called the elders. They're not going to call a doctor. They're going to call the elders on this one. And it says to call to them. That word means to bring them to your side. So it has this idea they're so sick that they can't get out of the, their home. And so the elders need to go to that person. And again, this is not like every time you're feeling sick that we go over to an elder's house. Somebody has a flu, and so the elders go over there and pray over. It's not talking about it. It's just a very specific situation. And he says, let them pray. And that word means to to worship God in prayer. It's that same word, but it's an aorist imperative, which means it's, it's just a, a passionately um, directed prayer. So it's not just them going in and, you know, walking up to somebody, hey, you know, God, I just want to pray for this person and just pray you'd heal him and, and, and walk away. But they've already been praying, verse 13. So now the elders are coming in, and they're going to passionately pray. They're gonna, it's going to be this intense prayer in the sense that they're going to stay there with the person. They're going to encourage the person. They're going to talk through this issue. They're going to say, okay, 
you know, what's going on in your life? You know, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Is there something that you need to, you know, let out and, and, and have forgiveness from? And so it's, it's this intense prayer in that sense. I don't mean that they're freaking out, flopping all over the place, but it's intense. It's, it's focused, intentional. And so they're going to join in prayer with this person. And this anointing, it's really more of a, a symbolic thing. Like, for instance, when we do this as a church, we'll have, you know, we have a little vial of olive oil and, and we might you know, put it on the forehead and maybe in the form of a cross, that type of thing, and, and then pray with the person. But it's more symbolic, and, and this idea of being anointed with oil has this idea that a person is being, you know, they're saying, we're going to separate this person um, to God. You know, we're going to dedicate this person to God. Is this, everyone's kind of focused in here, okay, or this is something that God needs to reveal to us, help us understand what's going on. And then you talk about the prayer of faith, and it's a different word for prayer. This is a specific requ- request. This is a request saying, hey, God, Give us understanding. Help us understand. Is there sin involved here or not? You know, pray, Father, that, we, that you would heal this individual. And so it's a, it's a different word. It's a specific request. And he says that they'd be restored and raised up. And those two words, restore, could mean salvation, like a person places their faith in Christ, or rescued. So this person would be rescued from their situation into Raise up means to awaken somebody. It can awaken them from sleep or from even death. So, you know, raising someone from the dead. But in this case, it would be disease or spiritual uh, weakness. And then here's another word, another phrase um, that really kind of keys in for me as I'm looking at this. It says, and if they've committed, if they have committed sin, it'll be forgiven. Has committed is a perfect tense. And it has this idea that there's a, a past completed activity, or in this case, sin. So there's some sin in their past that's having a present-day effect in their life. So something's happened in the past has a present-day effect here. And so um, Hybert, one of the um, commentary guys that I've read, he said, the sinner is now abiding under the consequences of his sin in the past. That's what that means. And so this, this time of concentrated prayer and interaction and conversation and just kind of working through things, will hopefully end up bringing to, to the surface what the issue is, and then that person will confess that sin. And then God will restore them. Why? Because it's connected to their sin. So the sin's forgiven. They've returned to God in that sense. They've come under his authority. We talked about submitting back in chapter 4. So they've come under his authority, and now, of course, that physical healing doesn't need to be there, or the physical sickness doesn't need to be there because it's done its work. Similar to what happened with King David. All right, clear as mud? Great. Um, But here's the last reason. I believe it's physical. Because then he says something to the entire church. He says this. Therefore, because of what's just been said in verses 14 to 15, confess your sins, everybody. Church family. Spiritual family. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you, may, that you may be healed, which is a different world word than previous healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, such as Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it, not, uh, it did not rain on earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And so, faith, keeps each other accountable. And I believe he's 
coming off of what he just got done talking about, because he says, therefore, and so it's connected to before, he says, because people can have unconfessed sin that can linger on and then it can impact them physically, church family, Christians, let's confess our sin to each other. Now, he's not saying, you know, somebody stands up, because some churches do this, we don't. Um, you know, they'll have somebody stand up and confess their sin to everybody. He's not talking about that. He's not saying go out in the lobby when church is over and just start talking to people, telling what you, you, know, you messed up this week and what you did wrong this week. He's not talking about that. He's talking about this idea that, uh, of confessing means to agree with, that yes, hey, listen, I want you to know, agree with me that yeah, what I did was, was wrong, I sinned. I want to acknowledge that. It's a present imperative, so it's a lifestyle of basically being accountable of having a group of people that you trust, that you've gone through life with, and you spend time with each other consistently, and you keep each other accountable. Hey, listen, I messed up this week. And hey, can you, can you pray for me? Because then he goes on and says, hey, you need to pray. And so then you guys pray about that, and you ask God to give the person strength. Because again, that prayer there means ask for a request. So obviously you're going to be saying, hey, give me the strength to not... And then the other person says, yeah, you know, I actually messed up in this area. Hey, let's pray together. And so this is helping each other. It's this mutual confession. It's accountability. And he says that you might be healed. And this word means to have physical or spiritual healing. But I believe it's in the context, it's referring to the spiritual restoration. That we basically have preventative maintenance, you know. Preventative medicine. But it's spiritual. And that is us getting together with some of the Christians that we trust and having this conversation. You know, the number one person, if we're married, should be our spouse. That's the number one person who keeps us accountable, having that conversation. But there should be others. He says, the effective prayer of the righteous. Who's righteous? The person who has placed their faith in Christ is a righteous person. I'm not saying we're all perfect, because none of us are. But we are righteous before God. God has said, you are righteous. He's declared it because we place our faith in Christ. He's forgiven us of our sins. And so we're righteous. And he says the, the effective prayer of the righteous, and that word effective means it's empowered. So this, this idea that this empowered prayer, we know that's the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is empowering our prayer. And we can be effective. It's, in, it's being empowered. And so we know it's going to be effective. Then he gives us the, the example of Elijah. And why is he such a good example? When you think about, if you, if you know the Old Testament and heard the story of Elijah, I mean, man, he did some really cool things in his time. And so you might look at him and say, well, he's like super Christian. He has an S&C on his chest. And you fly through the air. He was just like super Christian. No, he's just like you and me. He was just human. And just like him, we have the same God. We have the same access to God. And some may say we have a better access because you know, now God the Holy Spirit indwells us who are followers of Christ. Not that we're God. I need to make because people say, well you believe you're God. No, I'm, no, God His Holy Spirit lives in me, empowers me, helps me. I'm not God. Um, I mean, look at this. <laughs> this is not God. Um, wow, be a pretty weak looking God. No, but it, you don't have to laugh that hard. <laughs> Bill's over here, oh man. 
No, same, same God. Same access to God. And, and again, this kind of, to me, adds to my argument. He, he doesn't use any of Elijah's, the miracles that God did through Elijah where he raised people from the dead or did some physical healing. He uses the one where he stopped the rain. And rain always has this idea, rain and drought has, is usually symbolic for spiritual stuff. And so the person who's um, spiritually weak is like spiritually drought, you know, dry is a drought. And then God, once they confess their sin, gives them the spiritual rain, refreshing. And so another reason why I think it kind of connects in the way it does. All right, the last one is this. And that is faith rescues others. This is the last one. So James ends his, his letter this way, which is kind of interesting. Um, I'll try to get through this quickly. He says, My brethren, if any of you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his, the sinner's, soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And so what he's talking about here? This uh, key word here is sinners or sinner. So this, and he's talking to the church in general. And so he's talking to a person who is part of the church family, may even be saying, hey, I'm a Christian. But God knows that the person is, is not. They're actually still a sinner. Because a sinner is somebody who has not placed their faith in Christ in, in this context. Again, we're all sinners. But in this case, this person has not had their sins forgiven by placing their faith in Christ. So they may even say they're a Christian, but they haven't placed their faith in Christ. They think salvation is some other way. He says if they stray, it, <clears throat> excuse me, it means to, to roam from the truth or from safety. And so this is the person who's kind of distracted. This is the, the person who's, um, you know, something is more important than time with God and his word and prayer. Or something's more important than spending time with the church family and worshiping together with the church family. Things come up that, you know, I can't make it to Bible study, can't make it to church, can't get together with other Christians, um, whatever it is, but they're, they're roaming from the truth. Maybe they're, you know, they, they kind of key in on something in the Bible, so then they find somebody who's teaching on that, and that person actually takes a little bit too much, you know, goes too far with it. And, but they're tracking with it because they like what they're hearing, but it's not biblical. So they start moving away from what is truth. And he says, hey, listen, church family, if there's a person like that or people like that in your church and you turn them back, that means to convert them, change them from being distracted moving away from the truth to bringing them to the truth, then you will save his soul, that person's soul. In other words, they, when they realize what they've done, they'll be, oh, man, and if they're not a believer, you know, they, that could be the impact. Be, oh, man, I didn't, realize, I didn't realize what it meant to be follow of Christ. That that will save that person's soul, which also goes with covering a multitude of sins, right? When Christ died on the cross for our sins, he died on the cross for our sins past, present, and future. And so once we believe that and place our faith on him, and say, God, please forgive me of my sins because Jesus died for them. He took my punishment. That's sin, past, present, and future. And so those multitude of sins will be forgiven. Well, that was kind of a quick fly-through here at the end of James. But as the band comes up, I want to I do a takeaway here that's uh, it's in the passage, but it's kind of tucked away in there. You've got to maybe read between the lines a little bit. Um, and that's, that's this. How necessary is your church family to you? James has just got done telling us that, 
yeah, you need to be praying and worshiping God through difficult times. You're praising God and, and thanking Him for the good times. But man, when life gets tough, if, if there's unconfessed sin in your life and things are messing with you physically, you need to call the elders. That's the elders of the church, the spiritual leaders of the church. And then, hey, church, family, you also need to be keeping each other accountable. You need to have some people that you can um, get together with and, and confess your sin to. What he's saying is we need, to, we need to connect to our church family because it's vitally important to our spiritual health and protection. God is saying that. I'm not saying that. I don't say, I don't challenge you, hey, you need to be part of the church family. You need to be here on Sunday mornings. Not just so we fill up a room. It's because it's vitally important to your spiritual health and protection. The Bible says it. God says it. It's incredibly important. And so, because of that, have you connected with people you can trust in our church family? I don't want you connecting with everybody on this. It's just, where are some people? Well, I'm not really sure. I'm kind of new or, you know, I haven't really connected in. Hey, Thursday night Bible study, you'll find some people there that would love to be able to meet with you. We have our adult groups that uh, meet. We have our micro groups, which is really set, kind of set for this. Is two or three, four people. There's one meeting in my office right now where, you know, men or women get together and they, they talk about life. They read the Bible together. They share what's going on. They pray for each other. They encourage each other. They text each other during the week. Call each other during the week. Whoop, go back. I don't have that good a memory. <laughs> and then the last one is, all of us know people, especially with COVID, all of us know people, professing Christians, who have decided not to go back to church. Exactly who James is talking about. They're straying from the truth. Because a church family is vitally important to our health and protection. And we all know people like that. So we need to be touching base with those people. And we have a prayer and care ministry where people are praying for people in our church. Man, if you've got people on your list and they're not here, you need to be texting them, calling them. Hey, you can go grab some coffee. Got any needs going on? What, what's, what's up? We'd love to see you at church. You need to be making those contacts and reconnecting with people. It's vitally important for a person's spiritual health and protection. Again, God says it, not me. Let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for James. Uh, it's always difficult to preach through something that's so practical and, and uh, toe-stomping at times. Um, but Lord, it's also good for us to just really take another look at, okay, I say I've placed my faith in Christ, but does my life change? Is there something else that's uh, going on in my life? And do I look different than I did prior to placing my faith in Christ? Maybe for some of us who have been Christians for a long time, maybe we've just kind of got apathetic and, and kind of sitting back and just kind of letting life go. And we need to get our act in gear and, and get back to that vital relationship with you and with your church family. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to work in our church. You're doing such an awesome job. And you're helping people connect and they're becoming... Um, more and more like Christ and they're encouraging each other to do that and they're, they're walking through difficult times together. We're so thankful for that. Lord, continue to work. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen.